0: Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on FUBAR Radio. Okay, Dawn, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I'm really, really delighted um, to have you. One of the, uh, you know, when we started the show and we we conceptualized the show, one of the things I was really keen to do was to platform and bring on voices um, who were not the typical voices in the political space. I um when I got involved in politics, uh, one of the first things I noticed was people from backgrounds like mine, people from experiences and lives like mine, I very rarely interacted with, and I can only imagine how much that was your experience. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, my first question, you know, what I'd really like to delve into to start off with is really your experience getting elected um, as an MP. Uh, I believe you were the third black woman. Uh, to be elected into Parliament, which is an incredible, huge achievement. But I also imagine it's difficult, overwhelming. And so I want you, if you could, just tell us a little bit about those early days, that first day in Parliament, what it felt like to kind of walk into this giant institution, not just a building, but all these traditions and um, this weight of history uh, and how clearly It was not built for someone like you, but you had smashed through the barrier and what that felt like.
1: So um, Ali, you're right. Um, Very much my experience uh, with politics is the same as yours in terms of you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's nobody like me in this place or even involved in politics. And when you begin to get involved in politics, a little bit of you, because people are so suspicious of you as well, and a little bit of you thinks, oh my God, what am I getting myself into? But um, there's always something, well, for me, it's like, well, I wanted to make a change and I felt that I could still hold on to me. Like I don't do things that I feel I'm going to lose a bit of me in the process. And it's interesting because um, I've written a book called A Purposeful Life. And in it, you start to sort of uh, have a timeline of your life and you start categorising what you did and how you did it and what it felt like. And, you know, when I was elected into Parliament, thinking about all that I had gone through, and obviously there's additional hurdles Um being, uh, I was young then. Uh, being really quite young, being black and being female, so you kind of think to yourself, "Okay, I've gone through all of those hurdles, I've conquered those, I've won against the odds, and now I've made it." Do you know what I mean? I'm in Parliament with all of these other elected MPs, and you and you think, "Right, what I need to do now is get on with the job." And <clears throat> I remember. You know, going into Parliament, smartly dressed, wearing heels. Um, And then almost having the wind knocked out of me by my whole achievement of what I actually went through to get there, not being recognised. You know, all of a sudden it was like, are you sure you're an MP? who have you come to work for or being in the lift and being told this lift isn't for cleaners or trying to get onto the terrace, have lunch with my team and and being physically stopped by another MP saying, where do you think you're going? Now, all of a sudden I had all of these additional considerations that I hadn't thought of. And I tell you, and as I say, writing about it, I was annoyed with myself. Um, I was annoyed with myself because I thought, why did you, why did you let your guard down that much? You know what I mean? Why didn't why did you think that everybody in that place was going to be of a similar mindset or forward thinking. Just because it's Parliament, it isn't the case. And, you know, by the time I entered Parliament, so that there was, um, Diane Abbott was the first, then there was Una King 10 years later. Then te- and then after, 10 years after that, there was me. But when I went in, Una sadly lost. So we were kind of a black woman down on the numbers and there was just two of us. It was it was a lot. It was absolutely
0: um, a lot to take. And I think th- I think people will be surprised what year you got elected. Mm. So because I think when we think of the second, third black woman to get elect- elected into parliament, you would think nineteen eighties, you know, that's or nineteen nineties. But it was well into the two thousands. I think to uh, the two thousand and five two thousand and five that you got elected. So it just sounds so alien to people like me that the, the third black woman, and like you said, you, you, you were the second in there because um, one of your colleagues had lost 2005 was when the third black woman got elected. That's, that's unbelievable. And you, you talked about, I'm I'm pretty astounded to hear those astounded, not surprised, but, but shocked to hear the story of, you know, being told this lift isn't for cleaners or I had one of my, um, one of my friends who I know, Magic Magic, who got elected as a, European Parliament member for for the Green party you know we we've known each other socially he had the same experience he went to the European Parliament and he was also you know told that you know they assumed he wasn't an MEP so um it's 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 kind of astounding because you feel I can imagine you feel like you've done it right i've 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 climbed the hurdle now let me roll the sleeves up and get some work done for my constituents and then you get there and you realize just how archaic. Not only the building is, but some of the people.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's shocking, really, because you think, right, job done. You know, I'm here. I'm I'm like everybody else, you know, in the chamber. Let's get at it. And then I've got all of these other things to consider. And when I became a minister, boy, did that piss off some of the Tories. I mean, they couldn't, you know, it was just I, I remember that a few months earlier, we were having a debate in parliament about the abolition of slavery. And then, you know, I became an MP and I was the first, can you imagine, Ali, like, I mean, I'm not gonna deny it, right? I was um, shitting myself just a little bit, do you know what I mean? (laughs) So I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe uh, how big a moment this is to be sort of the first black woman standing at the dispatch box on behalf behalf of her majesty's government. And and, and I remember um, Sadiq Khan, actually, uh, because we came in at the same time in 2005 in Parliament. And he gave me a call and he said, uh, have you got your questions today? And I said, yeah. And he said, what time are you on? And I said, "Um, I'm walking through now. And I I don't know if you know know Parliament, but I think he was in um, Normanshaw South, where you say he ran from Normanshaw South, through Portcullis House, down the escalators and into the chamber. And he did that in about two minutes. I don't know how he
0: did it. For those listening, that's quite a run. (laughs) It's quite a run. It's quite a run. Ali was vexed with me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he sat there and he said, you know, I can't believe that you're going to make history and you haven't told anybody. But I was so focused on doing well Mm -hmm. you know I was so focused on making sure that I didn't mess up I knew my stuff and getting through it because it it was I was just so nervous and yeah and you know parliament is very um adversarial anyway do you know what I mean there's a lot of you know we're always arguing and it's very competitive and it's fine you know I, I I quite like that some of the time but some of the ways that I was questioned was deliberately to um, belittle me.
0: Yeah. You know, I I think, you know, what, what is really interesting to me. And one of my experiences was that image of you at the dispatch box as a black woman is so inspiring to so many people because kids like me will have switched onto TV. And for the first time politics had someone that looked or sounded like us um, and I can't understate that because when I first wanted to get involved in politics, one of the first things I remember is thinking, you know, when I've seen these weird parliament parliamentary events, which we rarely watch, by the way, <laughs> um no one there kind of looked or specifically sounded like us. um, and so seeing you at that dispatch box is such a huge moment for so many people. But equally, there are others who will see it as a threat. To the established order. This isn't how things are supposed to be done. This isn't how things are done. And my privilege is at threat here because you know it's always been for people like us. And that comes with backlash. I can only imagine. Can you talk to us a little bit about the backlash that you've you've faced? Because it'll, you know, it, it comes in the form of threats, it comes in the form of abuse, but it also comes in interactions in parliament with your fellow parliamentarians, with with the system. So I can only imagine, you know. Talk us through a little bit
1: about that. Yeah, and, and that's key, right? The more that we seek to have a more equitable society, the more those people whose privileges have elevated them into positions where some of them have no right being, they feel, oh my goodness, you're coming for my job, you're coming for my position, without actually having the consideration to think, did I earn my place here? Or, yeah. or was it handed to me? Was it given to me because I'm mates with somebody? We know yeah. that's how the old order works, right? You get, is a nod, nod, wink, wink, old boys club, in you come, you know, and to hell with everybody else. So I understand Um when I walk into a room I understand that just by me being there that I am a disruptor do you mean I understand that in general uh, the spaces that I operate in there's not many people that look like me and sometimes I'm the only one and I also understand that because I don't conform you know my hair is natural I'm not wearing a Eurocentric wig that, you know, I was advised to wear if I was going to be taken
0: seriously. Um, Is that that what was said to you early on? Yeah. You should change.
1: Yeah. Well, I was told um, not to be too black. Yeah. uh, Because people will see that as a threat and I would be seen to have a chip on my shoulder. And Ali, the thing is this, this wasn't said by somebody who didn't like me yeah, this
0: was yeah.
1: by somebody who was trying to do me a favor somebody yeah. who felt that they were trying to help me out do it mean they're like dawn don't deal with black issues don't be too black yeah. you know you don't want to scare anyone um you yeah. know somebody even asked you know who my other half was because you know having i don't talk about this often and actually i haven't even mentioned this um uh, in my book um but You know, somebody kind of wanted to know who my partner was because, you know, if I've got a white partner, that would make me more uh, likable.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got nowhere near the same thing. and It's a minutiae compared to what you've experienced. But when I stood in Uxbridge, it was in the Labour Party that they said to me, you know, you can change your name on the ballot. It doesn't have to be Ali Reza. You can, you know, you can make it Ali and sound it. And, you know, the advice was coming from people who wanted me to win. That maybe you should anglicize your name a little bit more. Maybe you should make it a little bit less Muslimy. And I was told very specific: stop talking about Muslim stuff. You know, s- steer away from that. So it's, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because but it gets it, does it not get into your psyche? Because now that you have all, I mean, you've come such a long way, and you've been minister and run all sorts of elections. Now you can kind of identify that. But when you are early on, when you've just reached it, does it not get in your head? oh, maybe I should be less. Maybe I should be.
1: Um, so because, because it's coming from people who, as you say, literally want you to win. So There's nothing they don't want you to win. They want you to win. Of course, a bit of you thinks maybe I should, you know, spell my name, A-L-L-Y, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think, mm. but my response um, to this person was, look, At the end of the day, I will fight for issues that I care passionately about. Mm -hmm. It was the same with young people. I did a lot of work for young people and fought around youth issues a lot. And I was advised, why am I doing that? Why am I talking about young people issues? Because young people don't vote. They're not interested in politics. And so people try to put me off of the path and tell me to do other things instead So they didn't want me to do black issues. They didn't want me to do uh, youth issues. And it was the same kind of response. I said to them, if you don't engage or care about young people, they will not engage and care about you. And so it was important for me to do that. And I was going to do that whether they liked it or not, because it was something that I believed in. And it's something that gives me energy when I do things that I am truly passionate about, it gives me energy to continue. If I do something that I'm just doing because somebody else told me to, I won't have that enthusiasm. And politics is hard. You need to get energy from somewhere. And I don't drink coffee. So I need (laughs) to get my energy from somewhere.
0: But it's also, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Don't talk about young issues. Young people don't engage. And then they tell you not to talk about young issues because young people aren't engaged. But it just (laughs) is a cycle that keeps going around. That's right.
1: And now, and now people in general do sort of talk about young people. And I think, see, I told you. but um, And on black issues, I, you know, I said, look, at the end of the day, when I wake up in the morning, I'm black. All day, I'm black. And when I go to bed, I'm black. And even if you want me to not be too black, I am reminded of my blackness. When I walk into that room, when somebody ignores the fact that I'm an MP, when somebody thinks that I'm a cleaner, nothing wrong with cleaners, rather than an MP, I am reminded, this place, Parliament reminds me at every possible opportunity that it can that I am Black. So, So for me, even if I took that advice, can you imagine the psychological strain that it would take on me if I'm pretending not to mention that I'm black and then somebody else mentions that I'm black. Yeah. It would be too much.
0: Yeah. And so now if I, if we could talk a little bit about a couple of issues that I, that I know that you've spoken about that are close to me and that are topical. Um, the first is around policing, obviously um, the issue of police Minority communities, women has been hugely in the public discourse ever since. Um, in the last sort of five six years, uh, the Sarah Everard case specifically. Um, we've now had recent sort of data showing that trust in the Metropolitan Police in London specifically, um, has fallen drastically. You experienced um an incident where you had a stop and search um that that was well publicized, publicized where it was yourself and uh, I think um a driver who was a black man, if I'm not mistaken. Um, now, I'm not particularly interested in the incident itself. What I want, wondered is whether you could talk a little bit about this, this tension around the issue of policing, because it goes to the heart of what we've been talking about in the different experiences and the different worlds that people live in this country. One of the best examples is when I went to university, I uh, started to interact with uh, people who didn't come from the kind of backgrounds that I did. And policing was one of the key issues that we used to debate about, because when I grew up, we were afraid of the police. Right. We didn't interact. um, Whereas they were told if anything goes wrong, the police are your friends. Go and seek police advice. I got the opposite advice from friends, from parents, often from teachers, um, which was, you know, to fear the police. So what age did you get that advice, Annie? Uh, I think it was teenage years, so it was when we started. Um, when I started to come home by myself, so when I was not getting picked up from school, you know, mm. the police, certainly my mum, there there was an there was an air of fear. Don't interact um, unless you have to, um, and then that was I think reinforced by our own experiences, stop and searches. Which caused huge angst amongst us, uh, you know, where we were just getting, we we never got we never had anything, but we would constantly get stopped and searched. There was no um uh there was no drive or will from local police forces to do any sort of integration work. Um it was almost seen as they were the hammer, we were the nail. Um and and at the time, to- you know, I, I was a candidate. And I'll be honest with you, when I stood, I was it was one of the issues I was afraid to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was scared of the backlash that that would come. But I don't think that we can address... I don't think it's fair on the police. I don't think that it's fair on the communities. I don't think we can address the issue unless we talk about the reality of the fact that there is a huge gap, particularly between minority communities and the police. And so I just want your experience, thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it's... um, It's interesting, isn't it, that we have what I call the talk... If you're a person of colour, you have you 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 get given the talk at some stage in your life. Mine was probably, I think as early as about 11, 12, um, where my brothers gave me advice about the police, which is basically don't be alone with them. Get a message to us as soon as you can. Um when I started driving, it was look in your rear view mirror the police drives past you. If they U-turn, know that they're following you and find a safe space to stop. And I think the first time they gave me the advice, I was like 14. I wasn't even driving. And I was thinking, wow. And and I think the brutal murder of George Floyd brought a lot of these discussions and trauma Back up to the fall, right? Because there were mm-hmm. people who would normally not have taken any of this in, because they'll be out going about their daily lives, or all of a sudden stuck in front of the TV having all this content, and they couldn't explain that death away. Didn't you know I mean they couldn't explain why the police were acting in such a brutal way, why somebody else called the police while they were watching the police kill a black man, and so we have having all these conversations with the police now. If black people had been listened to about the brutality in the police and about the bad officers in the police, we would have a better police force now. And the fact is they were not. And that is because it's very much links to uh, parliament and old structures where they're built for a certain group of people who act a certain way and they're not to be questioned and then these are the kind of outcomes that you get so um it's interesting now because you've got the, the police, especially the met to have the the lowest uh rate of satisfaction at any other time in its history. Women have problems with the police, especially after as you say the brutal murder of uh Sarah Everard and also the police um taking pictures of um Nicole and Bibber and putting it on a WhatsApp group, women don't feel safe. Black people have never felt safe. Mm -hmm. And you've got gay people who feel that they were not listened to. So you've got different categories of people now who are like, and that's, you know, and that's rightly why the Met are in special measures. But I must say, uh, and I am one to... uh, You know, be critical, but also be fair, you know. And I must say that Cresta Dick, I called for her to resign. Yes. Um, Mark Rowley, he's not done anything for me to call him to resign. (laughs) He's actually, I think, uh, doing a better job than Cresta did. He's listening. He seems to understand. He says, yes, he understands the police are institutionally racist. So.
0: You mentioned that uh, you called on Addict to resign, which I thought was incredibly brave because even then, even as all the pressure had mounted, there was a fear in politics because there's a consensus across partisan line in politics that you kind of talking about the police as a dangerous area for you politically. So I thought it was really brave that you did that. And now you've spoken about the new commissioner. If he was here, and I'm sure you have actually spoken to him, but if he was sat here or if you were in a room, a safe room that nothing would get out, nothing would get in, what is... The advice you would give him to clean this mess up?
1: I've told him this to his face. Every single police officer needs to be revetted. Every single one, with that exception. And every single police officer needs a psych test. Do you mean they need to, we need to understand that they are psychologically mentally sound to do the job of policing policing you know you're taking away people's liberties you have power to do that you have the power to stop somebody and search them you have a power to tell somebody i am going to strip search you take all your clothes off i'm going to strip search you those powers shouldn't be given to people who are unstable and we have too many unstable officers and they talk about bad apples but i actually think the, the, I actually think that the Met, and I only know the Met, I don't know other police in other areas, mm-hmm. but I think the Met is a rotten tree that produces a few good apples. Yeah. Rather than rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah. And I mean there's there's all sorts of I mean, we could be here for days citing mm-hmm. um examples, but the hope is that we are now in a moment because look, there's a there's a I can imagine mm-hmm. you might not say it, others might not say it but there's an element of frustration because black communities have been saying this stuff, exact stuff for decades and no one has listened. And now there might be a gap. There might be a a slight light where people are listening and it gives us an opportunity to reform for the better. Um, And so the hope is that this moment can be embraced um, and that there can be reform. So I don't have to tell my kids to avoid, to make sure they say all the right things, to be in fear of, of the police. So I can give them the same advice my white counterparts gave their kids. Um I'd love for that and, to happen, right? Wouldn't we love for that to happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it it has always been so contradictory to me. Um because and I didn't say anything for the longest time, but we would be around and and people would talk about the police in terms that I was unfamiliar with. <laughs> um, it wasn't my experience. Um, and I know it wasn't uh, my colleagues' experience. So we're we we're, we're we're running really short of on time. One of the last things I want to ask you, if I may, and I hope it is not overstating, but you've gone through some some health issues. So I want to know how you are, how you're feeling, and what the future holds. Um, I would love to see Mayor Dawn Butler one day. Um <laughs> But uh, what I want to know is how you're doing and what the future holds.
1: Thanks, Ellie. Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yes, I had um, breast cancer, and it's tough. I mean, you know, once you hear the word cancer, you're just like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna die." Yeah. So it's been a it's been a tough tough road, um, but I'm coming through it and. You know, the NHS has been there for me and I'm incredibly grateful to all the doctors and nurses. It also made me realise, you know, just how much they're struggling uh, after the pandemic. Um, There's a lot of doctors and nurses that have got PTSD. But, yeah, I'm getting there. And, you know, I've started the campaign to find the uh, missing million mammograms there's a million women out there who haven't had their mammograms and it's estimated that there's about 8000 to 12000 women who currently have breast cancer and don't know it and the earlier you catch it the better so i'm hoping well i met somebody just this week who told me that she went for her mammogram
0: because of me and That's that brilliant.
1: was really emotional so yeah yeah
0: i mean it's it's you know there's all sorts of stuff you can do, legislative, from a legislative sense, to help people. But every so often, I think public figures are reminded that your experience and your story can save lives, also. And I think if people hear that, that you know what you went through, uh, and that encourages them to go to their I don't know if it's their GP or whatever and book in their mammograms, that'll be excellent. So I'm delighted to hear you're better. Uh, can't wait. To see um what you do next thank you so much um for joining us uh you you've mentioned your book which people can can go ahead and get i, I think it's still out there um
1: it's not out yet
0: oh it's, it'll be uh, out soon
1: yeah it'll be out it'll be out soon a purposeful life so um yeah quite excited about it but uh <laughs> yeah there's some stuff in there about <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's
0: let's uh yeah i when i wrote mine <laughs> i did After once it came out, I just kind of sat there and clenched and waited to to see what the what the backlash or response was. Um, But, yeah, it's it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. And uh, I'm sure all the listeners and everyone is looking forward to seeing what you do next.
1: Pleasure. Good luck and good luck to you. Hopefully I'll see you in Parliament one day.
0: We'll see. Thank you so much.
1: Take care. Bye.
0: Okay.